You found us through fly fishing. You'll stay for our passion and the community. Welcome to the Wet Fly Swing Podcast. Yeah, but he doesn't get it. How come fly fishermen don't get it? You only haul with the short power snap. Look for where people walk and the insides of bends and hunt those. The roof blew off and the interior walls got sucked out and the trees are just coming up. And I mean, he's clearly not going to clear the trees. It is not a fly fishing story. It's a story about me trying to understand my brother through fly fishing. Welcome to the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show, where you discover tips, tricks, and tools from the leading names in fly fishing today. Before we get started, quick word from our sponsor, Smitty's Fly Box, delivering monthly flies, fly materials, and accessories each month with their Smitty's Subscription Fly Box. Smitty's has been producing high-quality flies and materials for over 30 years, so now it's time to take the guesswork out of fly time materials and patterns. You can support this podcast right now and get a great selection of flies and fly time materials right now at Smitty's Fly Box. That's Smitty's, S-M-I-T-T-Y-S, smittysflybox.com. We've been waiting for you. Follow our guests, follow us on Instagram, and share this episode and the love if you enjoy this podcast. And we are live in three, two, one. How you doing, Poppy? I'm good. Good. Thanks for making some time today to put this together. Um, we've heard a lot about you over the years, and I'm glad we're finally uh, making some time. And I'm finally the the schedule's aligned to get you on. We're gonna talk. Uh, we're gonna talk space, steelhead, the Clearwater, the shop. Uh, you, you guys have a cool event coming up here at the end of the month, but. Um, before we jump into all that, take us back to, I want to start on fly fishing. What, what's your first memory of fly fishing? Well, I had a fly rod when I was seven. I didn't always use the fly on it, but probably when I was about 10 or 12. Where'd you grow up? Uh, I was in Southern California at that point, and then uh, we went to Salt Lake. Okay. And how did you get over to, uh, how did you make yourself over to uh, like the, the area where you are now? Well, I met a girl in Southern California in 1970, and uh, she was from Orofino, which is six miles from where I am right now. Oh, gotcha. There you go. All right. So that, that makes sense. And uh, and so the Red Shed Fly Shop, how long, when did you open up the shop? Uh, 2002. 2002. Gotcha. And what was what was that like? Why why start a fly shop in 2002? What, what, what led up to that? Well, I was in the trucking business, and... My wife was my dispatcher. She wanted me to get off the road, and I didn't want to. And uh, I was down at Lewiston waiting to get a load parked, and another truck ran into me and tore the front off my truck. So I had to do something, and I had a little hay barn, and uh, we cleaned it out and opened a fly shop that sold two-hand rods and steelhead flies. Wow. So you got smashed by another semi-truck, and because of that, you basically started the fly shop, decided that you wanted to go into another line of work. Well, she wanted me to get off the road, and uh, after that guy hit me, she was like, this is a good time for you to get off the road. So I had to do something else, and uh, we opened the fly shop. Wow. Wow. And, and so 2002, so you've been over 20 years now doing at the shop. Maybe describe so describe the shop for somebody who hasn't been there. How would you describe the red shed? Uh, it's a little red barn, about uh, fifteen by twenty, and uh, 
it looks like nothing. It was just a little hay barn, a little tiny hay barn. Just a little wooden, it's just a little uh, shed, basically. It was 10 by 15 when we started, and uh, we added 10 feet. I guess it's 50, that's 25 by uh, 15. Gotcha. Pretty small. Yeah, but it's worked for you. What's what? Um, if you walk into that shop, what would we see today? Would we see a bunch of fly materials, rods? What, what's it look like? Uh, yeah, there's, uh, every wall is covered with material. And uh, we have the rods on the ceiling. We have two ha- two handed rods in two rooms, and uh, single handed rods in in the other little room. Yep. What was your um, when you were uh, you know the spay like spay is big obviously for you for a lot of people. What what was that like for you the transition? When did you get into spay casting and fishing? Nineteen ninety six. I started messing around with two handers. Yep. And why why ninety six? What happened then? Did you did you know somebody? Where did you first see the the two hander? No, I just uh, I was on the internet. There was a some kind of a forum back in Michigan or someplace called the Steelhead site. Some of those guys were talking about it, and uh, Rob Estlin had a a website back there in uh, Wisconsin, I think. And I came across that, and then. Uh, Dana Stern had uh, international spay casting, which morphed into spay pages. Mm. Get ready to explore the wild of Northern Rockies adventures. Imagine yourself surrounded by pristine waters, towering mountains, and the thrill of landing trophy fish like the majestic Arctic grayling, the elusive bull trout, or the classic rainbow trout. With over 40 years experience guiding anglers through these breathtaking landscapes, Daniel's family-operated trips promised not just a fishing journey— but an adventure of a lifetime. From the convenience of Vancouver, BC, dive into an all-inclusive experience that caters to every detail of your trip so you can focus on the thrill of the hookup. Take a look for yourself at northernrockiesadventures.com for an exclusive premium BC fly-in fly fishing trip. Yep. So that's where it started, 96. Uh, you get your spay rod. 2002, you open the shop. How has it been? What's it been like running a shop for, for over 20 years, a fly shop? It's been up and down. Uh, you know, it was something that I I didn't really, I never had any dreams of being in the fly shop business. I didn't know anything about being in the fly shop business. We just, it was just something that I did and uh, it just happened to work. The timing was good. Yeah. What is the, what do you love most about being in the fly shop business? I like interacting with the customers and fishing's always, I've fished my whole life. So it's, you know, it's something that I like to do. I never thought of myself as being in the retail business. It just happened and it just happened to work out pretty good. Nice. And for steelhead, um, you know, there's been some challenges as of late for steelhead runs and things, but when was, um, you know, your first steelhead, did you get into steelhead right when you got into spay or did you, were you into steelhead before that? No, I saw my first steelhead caught in the American River when I was about 12. And uh, I was instantly in love with the silver fish about two feet long. And then uh, after I met my wife, we came to Idaho in uh, August of 1971. And a family friend took me steelhead fishing in what we call a stinkhole down by Lewiston. And I hooked one on a hot shot. Wow. Uh, the first fish fooled me. I was using a trout rod, and it 
it hit and made one run, and that that was the end of that. And uh, I was instantly hooked on steelhead fishing. Wow, amazing! So the American River, which is a famous that whole area, right? That's where steelhead fishing first came. Uh, I think to the U.S. That's where people first got into it. So you're, and is that where you said you grew up in the Southern California, but you were up just fishing up in Northern California? Yes, we'd go visit my grandparents in Auburn uh, in the summer, and we fished in uh, the American River above Folsom Reservoir. Gotcha, amazing. Okay, so that's your first steelhead, and then you get over, and then when you get to the Clearwater, do you remember your first Clearwater steelhead? Well, yeah, it was in the stinkhole in August of '71 on a little hot shot, and uh, I lost that fish. And then her parents uh, lived in Orofino for a time, and then they moved to Lewiston. So we would be up here at least once or twice a year. And uh, then in 85, we moved to Lewiston. I lived about uh, a block away from where I hooked my first steelhead, so I had a chance to go fish more for them. Wow. Wow, amazing. So you're, I mean, you're right in this amazing part for steelhead fishing, uh, you know, in that part of the world. We mentioned before, but, you know, numbers are down a bit. Are, are you still seeing, are people still out there fishing? Uh, is it still open? What's that look like? Uh, yeah, the season opened on uh, July the 1st for catch and release. And uh, the numbers are actually looking better than what we first thought. It might be a little bit better run. It's not going to be, you know, gangbusters, but I'm a little more optimistic than I was a month ago. Okay. Yeah, and I noticed you had a little uh, photo on your Facebook page. I think it was from 2021, and it showed, like, the run since 2011. I think it started out at 360 over Bonneville, 360,000 fish, and it dropped down to, like, in 2021, it was down to about, what was it, 60,000? It dropped a lot. I mean, how are we now? Are the runs still in that range, or are they coming up in a bit? Uh, I think they've came up a little bit, but I never look at the numbers anymore. I quit. It's going to be whatever it is, so there's no sense in looking at the numbers. And Yep, I agree. It is what it is. And part of it is the spay, right? People love just fishing and learning the spay, so that's kind of the one of the cool things. Even if you maybe don't get a shot at a fish, you're still working on the spay game. Is Do you actually instruct? Are you a teacher? Are you a guide of, of the spay and steelhead, or do you just stay in the shop most of the time? No, uh, most of the time now I work on cane rods, but my cane rod shop's at the house and is behind the supply shop about, I don't know, 50 yards. So I watch the shop, uh, and then if my son-in-law's there uh, part of the time, then I work on rods. Don't fish as much as I used to. Sure, sure. What's the uh, the cane rod that you're working on? Are you, are you building these from scratch, or what does that look like? Yeah, I build them from scratch, mostly single-handers. I've made some trout spays, and uh, I have plans to make some two-handers, but I haven't actually made a steelhead two-hander yet, just some trout spays. Mm, gotcha. Okay. When you look at the clear water, what are the? How would you fish it with the spay rod? What, what's your setup look like? Talk about your rod, your line, and how you would fish it because there's there's kind of different ways. Are guys doing a lot of different things like long belly, short belly stuff out there? Uh, a lot of the guys are using longer lines. We have guys here fishing uh, 15, 16 footers, but you don't need that. If you have a 13 foot seven weight and a scanty head, you you set up pretty good for our fishing until. Uh, after Thanksgiving, anyway. Gotcha. 
So most people are using Scandi. There's not a lot of people using like a Skagit line. You don't need a sinking line at all out there. Uh, most Clearwater diehards seem to fish that floating line until uh, the water's about 36 degrees or 38 degrees. If they're really in the floating lines, they'll, you know, they'll uh, keep fishing it even after the water starts getting pretty cold. But if you like Skagit head, you can fish that here too. But I tell people put a floating tip on it and just do your thing. Oh yeah, right, right, yeah. You can still fish it with the floating. And uh, and so when does the season? Talk about the season on the Clearwater. When does it start and when when does it end? Uh, catch and release opens on July the first. Usually there's some fish around. It's pretty skinny until uh, more into August, and then it gets going. Usually about the first week of September, you can find a fish close to my shop down here. And uh, the season the season actually goes clean into the next year. I think. It'll end on April the 30th, and the fish are move, moving upstream. Oh, wow. So you can fish. So people are fishing out there all the way through through the winter and into uh, the next spring? Yeah. That's amazing. So it's a long season. So it's almost a, it's almost a year-round season. They just close it for the spawning season. It's pretty long. Yeah, we're pretty, uh, we're pretty lucky to have such a long season. If you like to winter fish, uh, you can do that to your heart's content. Yeah, have you done a lot of winter fishing, or do you stick with the warmer weather? Well, when I was younger, I fished a lot more in the winter. I don't fish in the winter very much anymore. Yeah, so the winter is the winter time. If you're fishing uh, winter, spring, you're using like sinking lines, getting it down, or could you get still get them on the surface in the winter? Uh, there's a few people that'll fish that floating line the whole time, or they'll put a sinking pollen leader on. Scandy head with the sinking pollen leaders, and then uh, fish the same kind of flies they fish all uh, all fall. Yeah. And what is your, what is the fly? What, if you, if somebody, if I came in today and I wanted to put on a fly, what would you tell me to put on for a type of fly? Well, if the sun's out of green butt skunk, size six. Not a regular skunk, just a, a green butt. A green butt skunk. Yeah. Perfect. Size six? Well, yeah, size six. Uh, some guys, uh, the clear water's pretty good with the size eight. Some guys like the size eight, but uh, size six works really good. Okay, and is this a pretty sparsely tied fly, or does it have a bunch of, is it big and kind of flashy? No, sparse is good. Yeah, sparse is good. Perfect. Right on. So, and, and what is, the, you know, over the years, you've probably seen some different sizes of fish, and they're small and large. What, what is the largest fish you've ever seen or heard of on the Clearwater? Uh, I've seen a few over 40 inches. That's pretty rare, but I'd say 42 inches. 42, so you're talking over, well over 20 pounds. Yeah, yeah, I think so. That is pretty rare, though. Most of them are about, well, the A fish are smaller, but uh, the B fish, I'd say 10 or 12 pounds. Yeah, 10 or 12 pounds. That's right. Yeah, and those start coming in when? Is that more of a, like, October, November when those start coming in? Uh, yeah, the B runs are later. Uh, that was the North Fork fish. Yeah, it's because the Clearwater, now describe that. Where does the Clearwater uh, flow into, what river? Describe that a little bit, or how far, like where you're at, where the shop is right now, the nearest town, and then what, where does the Clearwater flow into? Well, the Clearwater is formed by the locks on the Selway, about about 75 miles from where I'm at, and then it flows into the Snake at Lewiston. I'm about 36 uh, miles from the confluence of the Snake. Okay. 
Cool. So if we were coming up there, maybe for this event coming up here that you have going or uh, or just fishing, and we wanted to stop by the shop, could we stop by? And then is there plenty of camping and fishing and stuff like that, uh, you know, near the shop? Or where would you recommend if somebody wants to stay there for a few days, where, where should they be heading? Well, there's two people camping my pasture, but uh, <laughs> those, uh, those places that you can just do your thing if you want, there's a BLM camp about uh, – Mile marker 20, I'm about mile marker 35. There's another BLM camp at uh, Orfino on the west edge of Orfino. There's a couple RV camps around here. Perfect. Great. So this will be no problem. So if we come up here and we might even visit you and maybe even stay in your lawn, it sounds like you let that let some people do that occasionally. I have a few people that have been camping in my pasture just about every year for uh 15, 20 years. Oh, wow. How, how big is your pasture? Is this like, are there animals or there cows and things like that out there? Uh, not anymore, but uh, it's not that big, actually. At one time, it was a lot bigger, but that property's gone now. So uh, next door, there's a fire department over there. Oh, okay. It's big enough. I've had 10 or 12 guys camped out there. Oh, wow. There you go. Okay. <laughs> this is sweet. And talk about this. I'm not sure if you're fully involved or leading this, but the, um, I mean, in the past it's been called, um, you know, the red shed spay clave. And I think now maybe there's a different name, but is this event, are you fully, uh, this is coming up right at the end of, end of September this year, September 30th at the Lenore rest area, which is about six, seven miles downstream from where I'm at. Uh, we've had, uh, I think this will be the 16th one. We were going to have one, and uh, the last one we had before COVID, they closed the season the day after the spay clave. And so then in, in 2021, my wife and I couldn't decide if we wanted to have it or not. The numbers weren't very good. And she passed away, so uh, then it was just off the table for a while. But this year we've joined forces with uh, Fly Project U.S. House of Fly. And uh, we're having it again on September 30th. Nice. Nice. So if somebody wanted to get involved in that, do they have to register or do they just show up? Just show up. Cost nothing. It's all free. Uh, We'll have some demo casters there. There'll be some tackle reps there. Uh, We have lunch. And uh, it's just a big, friendly gathering. Yeah. Yeah, what is it about the spay that gathering that you know what I mean? People, I mean, I know there's going to be like Simon Gosworth's going to be there. There's going to be a lot of great you know casters and f- anglers. But what is it that makes those events so cool? Because I think the spay clave. I'm not sure where the first one was, but it seems like they're just they're really unique. Why why are, why are those? You know, what do you enjoy about them? And why do you think they're so unique? Well, you get to see the new tackle. You get to see different uh, methods of casting or fishing. Uh, the first ones that I think Mark Bachman over in Oregon had the very first one. And Linda and I went to uh, the first one, I don't know, 2003 or four, And so we decided to have our first one in 2005. And we had them all the way through until COVID. And then uh, it just kind of disintegrated after COVID hit. And then she and she was gone. So, uh, you know, it was, it was kind of cool that, decide to have it again i don't know yep yeah it is it's uh no it's really cool i think i think there's a lot of people that are excited about this because well like you said bachman 
you know, he is uh, he's no longer. Uh, well, he's around, but I mean, he closed up his shop and uh, and the spade clay, right, and all that thing. I mean, do you see this as you're you've been doing this a while? Do you, do you see folks around? I mean, what are your thoughts on longevity? Are you planning on stick keeping the red shed open till the very end, or how how does that look for you? Uh, when I'm gone, my son-in-law Dale Dale Wheeler gets it. He'll have to eat a few more tacos and get fatter so he looks like me. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Okay, so so it'll it'll still be going, and and so if we're running up there today or you know this month before we want to pick up a rod, I know you've had different rods over there over the years, but what is the what's the recommended setup? You said like like a thirteen foot. Um, do you have a bunch of different brands in there, or you know like line setups? That, you know what would you recommend there? I sell uh, Miser Redshed Specials. I sell Burkheimer on the high end, and I sell uh, Echo. For the lower price point, we have them all the way up to 16 feet. Mm, 16 feet. Did you ever do much of that long belly stuff, or, or have you always, you know, what, what's been, what was your style of, of spay? Oh, uh, when I started with the with the junkyard spay, uh, I think I was using 41 feet of double taper, SA double taper tin, and a piece of uh, Maxima 30 pound brown for my running line, but. Uh, once I once I actually got a real spay rod, I think fourteen foot for me. Then I went to fifteen foot, and um, now if I was using graphite again, it'd probably be a fourteen footer. But uh, I'm pushing with an eleven foot Bob Clay right now. Oh, oh, really? You have eleven foot spay? Eleven foot Bob Clay, yeah. Wow. What, what's now? What's that rod? Is that? Uh, can you do as much uh, damage with that one out there as you can with the fourteen footer? Do you think you can almost cast it at a similar distance? Yeah, I don't think you have to cast that far if you don't want to. But uh, there's been lots of steelhead caught in the clear water with a eight and a half foot seven seven weight and uh, just a regular fly line. So with the two hander, you can uh, control more line. You can cast farther. Uh, but you know, I don't know if you need one. It's, they are fun. Yeah. <laughs> so, do you remember? So, before you got into spay, and and I think it was '96 in that range, were you catching steelhead on the clear water with a single hand rod? Uh, yeah. Yeah, I used to fish with them with an eight and a half foot uh, seven weight yellow Fenwick fiberglass, and then I got a graphite rod. I don't remember. It was uh, somebody's blank. I think it was a Fisher blank. I bought off of some forum, and then uh, I didn't have any money to get a, a real spay rod, so I made my first one. What was the first one you made? Was there a blank? Well, it was that, that single hand uh, yellow fiberglass was the top of it, and then uh, for a butt section, I used a piece of Fenwick flipping stick that had the tip broke off. I cut it off and made it the butt section, made the junkyard spay. <laughs> wow. So do you still have do you still have all your old rods, that rod and all the old rods? That rod's on the wall of the shop. Oh cool. Right on. Well, I'm going to check that out. Uh, that's a reminder that not everybody can afford the $600 spay rod. Yeah, or or a 1000, right? Or a $1000 spay rod. Yeah, it's gotten it's gotten up there. Uh, when I started out there was no uh the offshore tackle didn't exist. St. Croix made the uh, a $250 spay rod, but then I think the next cheapest one was like 600 bucks. So 
when Reddington and TFO and Echo came along, that got a lot more people into it and uh, kind of opened the market up. Right, right, right. It did. And now it seems like everybody's got a spay rod out there. Do you, do you see it's kind of a, it's a easier way to get into it? Like, like if somebody's kind of getting into spay, what do you think is the first, what's the good advice you give somebody if they're brand new to it? How do they help? Or even maybe they've tried it and they've, they kind of suck at it. What, what's your recommendation? Well, I think if you would go to any fly shop in the Pacific Northwest that sold two-handers, and you said, I want a steelhead rod, they're going to sell you a 13-foot seven weight, and they're going to put a Skagit head on it, which is fine. And that'll work fine here, too. But a lot of my customers like 14, 15, and even 16-foot rods with longer bellies. Uh, So it kind of all works. Yeah. Yeah, it does. I guess you just need to find maybe a good instructor, a good... Good videos, right? I mean, I learned by watching videos. It sounds like you also have a lot of videos and DVDs. Do you still have those in the shop if somebody wanted to get some uh, material? Uh, they're like books, DVDs. Uh, we still have some. I think I still have Rio, Rio's down there. And then uh, John and Amy Hazel had a couple really good ones. We still have those, but DVDs don't sell as good as they used to because there's so much on the Internet now. Bear Vault is one way to assure your next backcountry trip stays memorable, epic, and safe. Bear Vault builds a rugged polycarbonate locking canister that keeps bears and other wild animals away from your food. This in turn keeps your food safe, keeps the bears safe, and keeps you safe. I've got a classic story that I told. I've told a few times about the bear taking my backpack while up in Alaska I had my lunch and some snacks in there and just went up around the corner to fish for a bit. When I got back, it was uh, totally gone. If I would have had that bear vault right at that moment, I would have been okay because my food would have been completely sealed. The bear would have had no idea and no reason to take my backpack. So a good reminder there. You might not realize it, but this type of thing happens all the time, even to experienced outdoorsmen. The great news for us is now we can experience the great stuff of a remote trip without ever having to worry about animals fiddling with our stuff. Sleep soundly knowing your vault has sealed the deal for you. Believe it or not, food storage is a key consideration while backcountry hiking, fishing, or camping. The Bear Vault also has some great bonus features like the see-through sidewall so you can find your stuff really easy and a large opening plus... Plus, it doubles as a nice camp stool. This thing is is legit. It definitely is one of my, this might be my favorite feature is, is the camp stool. You know, I love a good a good chair out there. Check in with the crew at Bear Vault at wetflyswing.com slash Bear Vault. That's Bear Vault, B-E-A-R-V-A-U-L-T. Okay, back to the show. Right on. Well, this is good. So basically, um, it, it sounds like it's pretty easy, and there's good access, right? If you go to the Clearwater, you you can pretty much you don't need a boat to fish that river. You can ro- uh, drive the road and just hop in. I mean, what's your recommendation if somebody wants to find a good run to fish? They're brand new to the area. How do they find a good run to, that holds fish? I drive along the river and look where there's other people fishing, and then be there earlier in tomorrow. <laughs> right. We have about seventy feet, seventy miles of. Uh, Pretty good steelhead water, no matter which way you're, if you're coming downstream or going upstream. Uh, there's lots of good runs. It's almost all accessible to walk and wait fishermen. You don't need a boat. Wow. 
This is great. So no boat. And then are you fishing the runs? I, I, I'm just picturing it. I haven't fished it, but I'm just picturing these kind of nice shallower runs. Is it pretty easy wading and all that? Or do you have to get deep and get in the water and, you know, get out there? Well, as far as wading, you need belt soles here and, and studs help and a wading staff if you're not very good. But you really don't have to wade that deep. Uh, there's lots of places you can fish. There's lots of places. It depends on the time of the year. But uh, you, some places you don't even have to wade. But most guys are wading a little bit up to the knees at least. Right. Right. But you don't have to go very deep. And these fish, when the takes are, is this a kind of just typical downstream and across with the dry line and, and the take is on the swing and or on the hang down? Uh, yeah, pretty much. Pretty easy. Wet fly swing. <laughs> That's right. That's right. What's your, uh, if you had one time to pick to say, hey, I only have one week to go fish the clear water, when would that be? Uh, the end of September is pretty good. September and October are my favorite times. It's uh, pretty good dry line fishing all the way into Thanksgiving, and then we'll have some cool weather, so people will uh, start talking about St. Tim, whether they fish one or not. Yep, gotcha. Are there any, as far you know, you got your shop, are there other shops in the area around there, other fly shops or other places other than yours? Uh, North 40 in Lewiston. Oh, is, how far is that away? 35 miles. Oh yeah, okay. So the North Forty, that's right. Gotcha. North Forty in Lewiston, and uh, and yeah, you're you're kind of out there, but yeah, there are there are some other. Yeah, Lewiston is a pretty decent sized town. Um, so this is good. Well, I'm I'm planning. I want to get this together so we can get some people out there to the spade clave. Do you think this event is going to be a pretty big one this year, or how do you how do you judge the success of a spade clave? Uh, I don't know how big it's going to be, but there's been a lot of positive. Uh talk about it so far everybody was pretty excited that we were going to have it again mrs redshed always did all the food and she'd make a thousand cookies and we're not going to have that but uh people seem excited that we're doing it again good 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 okay and tell me this i'm curious about because for me you know i think of mentors and people that helped me along the way i always find that you could watch dvds and teach yourself but sometimes the mentors are you know a big help have you have you had any people? It sounds like you taught yourself quite a bit, but were there any folks along the way that have helped you kind of dial in your spay game and steelhead fishing? Well, I, yeah, there's a, there's a lot of them. Tracy Allen. I met Tracy Allen and, and uh, Dave Bloom and Rick Woolham in September of uh, 2003, I think. And they were all spaycasters. They'd been coming to the Clearwater for a long time. I didn't know them. But they were they would be here fishing at the same time that I would be here fishing. And then once I met them guys, I started meeting a lot more people that they knew. And uh, it just kind of went from there. Right. And now you've probably met most uh, everybody. Do you find that a lot of people have come through that area over the years? I mean, the Clearwater seems like it's one of the most famous steelhead rivers in country, maybe the world, right? Do, do you find a lot of international people coming from around the world as well? Uh, we have people that come from other countries. Uh, I've met quite a few people from other, South Africa, quite a few people from Scandinavia and uh, the UK. I don't know. It's pretty, I think it's the best dry line steelhead river in the lower 48, although some Deschutes people might argue with me. But uh, <laughs> That's right. That's right. Well, that's where I'm coming from. That's kind of my 
kind of my home water and I fish that. So I know I always feel like if I've I know the Deschutes so well that I'd probably do okay on the Clearwater because it seems like it's a pretty similar. Have you fished the Deschutes River? Uh, two times I went with Travis Johnson both times. Uh, my first Deschutes fish was about eleven pounds, but uh, I caught one fish that trip and lost one. And the next time I went, I caught one fish and lost one. There you go. So you're probably doing way better than most people. You actually, on your first trip, caught a steelhead on the Deschutes. I had a good guide. <laughs> how did the Deschutes compare? Do you remember, like, how did that compare to the Clearwater? I don't know. It's, I like the Deschutes, but I like the Clearwater better. But, uh, you know, the Deschutes was different, a little bit different for me anyway. Uh, but, you know, basically, I, I just did what Travis told me, and it worked out pretty good. Right. Right, yeah, it's a good idea. Follow the advice of your guide, and I think he knows uh, every steelhead in that river. Oh yeah, yeah, he knows his stuff for sure. That's great. Hey, we we joke about it because you know we'll be fishing the Deschutes, and you'll get one of those B run fish, and and that, you know that's your fish essentially, right? Those are your fish that are turned into the into the Deschutes, but they're heading on their way to the the Clearwater for the most part. Um, that B run, you know, that is a pretty like. What is your experience there? So you mentioned a couple of big fish, but is that kind of the the better run? I didn't even realize. So the A run. So you guys have a smaller run of fish that come in there earlier. The A run fish come earlier, and I I personally like them the best because I think they're hotter. But uh, you know, they they come and then the B run fish get here. But sometimes you catch a B run fish early too. It's still other just kind of like people. They're there's some patterns, but uh, every once in a while they get broken. Right. They definitely, yeah, they they, uh, they trick you sometimes for sure. I think you, you can't always figure them out. Nice. So so tell us again on the spade clay. So you mentioned, our, you know, Simon Gosworth, I think, is going to be there. Travis Johnson. Who else is going to be at that event? Uh, Travis isn't coming this year that I know of, but we'll have uh, Bruce Cook will be there with some long belly casting. Uh, Whitney Gould's coming. Al Burr is supposed to be there. Lee Davidson, Tracy Allen from Lewiston, Cross Fremore. I think that's there's seven demo casters. <laughs> that's a pretty solid lineup. I'd say that's some of the best, you know, from around anywhere. That's awesome. Well, when we decided to do it, I just, you know, some people that we'd had in the past popped into my head. So that's who I called first. Yeah, yeah, that's great. So tell uh, on the fly shop. So what? What your daily? You get in. Are you guys open uh, like five days a week, or how? What, what are your hours? Seven days a week, ten to five, twenty four seven. What's the phone call? So what is your daily? What what time are you getting up, and when are you getting into the shop? Do you get there early? I open it at ten, and then uh, Dale comes at about eleven thirty usually, and then we're both there until three thirty, and then he goes. He takes the packages to the post office and. I watch it until I close. Okay. So people are your order. So are you sending out these are orders, people calling up, ordering online, or how does that work? Well, sometimes a couple of days ago, I got a phone call at uh, four o'clock in the morning from somebody on the East Coast. Yeah, you get people from all around the country. Yeah, right. All around the country. Uh, we, we ship all over the world. The internet's an amazing tool. It is. It is. I, I, and Dale, now what's Dale? So Dale is your son-in-law. Is that the case? Dale's my son-in-law. Yeah, he's married to my oldest daughter. Okay. And how is he doing? How, how How's his spade? How's his, uh, has he got his uh, spade game dialed in? Oh, uh, yeah. He doesn't get to fish very much, but he likes steelhead fishing. He's been a great help to me. 
Awesome. Yeah, I'm trying to paint that picture because as we come in, I want to stop by the shop and just when people are coming in to know what to expect. So if they go, well, hopefully I'll, I'll be catching you. We'll be talking to you out there. Uh, but if not, Dale will be around there. And uh, and so the the rod, again, I think long belly, what, what's, the, what's the secret with long belly? Do you think once you learn, if you're learning the Skagit, you know the cast, can you cast a long belly line just as easy? Um. He has to be a better caster to cast a long belly line. The short line's easier to deal with, but, uh, you know, when it gets cold, you don't really have to strip as much. You can, you can get your line out there to, to a castable distance and you can just leave it there. That's it. seems like the long belly is kind of in for the clear water in these big rivers. It's the kind of the easier way to go because you're not stripping as much. Do you, on people on the water, is it kind of an even mix of long belly and shorter head stuff, or is it still, you know, more Skagit stuff out there, or more, I guess, Scandi would be the, uh, you know, how does that compare? How does that look? I think more people have fished the shorter shorter lines, but we still have a lot of people that are fishing uh, the 55-foot lines, and then I sell a lot of 63s and even some 73s and 83s. That's definitely more people are fishing short because I think it is easier, but I still have a pretty good business selling long bellies. So, uh, there's a lot of interest in that. Yeah. Perfect. Well, is there, uh, anything else we should know about, you know, the shop or what you have going or before somebody comes out there to make a trip, um, anything else you would want to, you know, tell them or give them some insight? No, you can, uh, just bring what you have and, and, uh, Leader as long as the rod, 10 or 12-pound tippet for the general setup. Pretty general, yeah. So 10 or 12, and that's what I've always used. We were up in, um, we were up on the Skeena fishing here this month, and uh, we were using 20-pound tippet, and it, it worked great, right? Why do you think the 10 to 12, even sometimes, I mean, I've used 8-pound. What do you think the difference is between the tippets? Like, do you think, is there any... Uh, advantage of using a heavier tippet or a lighter tippet? Why not use eight, say eight pound versus 20 pound? Well, up there you probably got bigger fish, but I actually think you could probably fish 20 pound here and it wouldn't matter. I know one year I fished uh, 15 and I think I caught two or three fish that year. So, which was about normal for me. I'm not too sure that it really does matter. Maybe if the water's real skinny, a lighter tippet, but, uh, I sell more 10-pound ultra green uh, Maxima than anything else. Yeah, that's right. So back, if you look at the, you know, you've been there, the shop's been open for 20 years, and that takes us back to, you know, 2002. So you've really seen, a, a, I mean, you opened the shop when the runs were fairly, I think, on their way up, you know, because I know the 2008s and 10s, there were some large runs. I mean, when you look at the, you know, compare it, you know, over the years, like you do a session, you get on it, your morning. Now, is this also, well, I got two questions for you. One is how things have changed, but also are you fishing mornings, evenings, or is it all day long? Can you fish anytime? Most people that that come here can fish all all day. If you got the stamina, you can fish all day. Okay. So you could hook a steelhead just as easy, bright sunlight on the water as you can early morning or late night. Lots of them are caught under bright sunlight. Yeah, gotcha. Okay, so that's that's the one question. Then the other question is, you get out there in the run, and what's a what would be a great you know back in the day, how many fish might you hook up into on a really great you know uh, session? Say you're out there fishing for a, a couple hours, 
you know, and I know it's it, now it's maybe you get a fish and you're happy, but is that like, what was your best day? Do you remember that back in the day? Uh, my best day was just one fish, but, uh, if you can come here and you can consistently get a grab every time you go, that's pretty good. I have heard of one guy that landed seven in one day, and that's a credible uh, report. <laughs> yeah, right. But I like that. One grab, you know, one fish, one opportunity is, uh, you know, that's a pretty good day. Do you ever get out there a grab and, and you think it's a steelhead and then you, you take and then eventually you realize it's some other species? Uh, yeah, well, you might catch a small, uh, there's bass in the river, there's white fish, you might catch a white fish, well, you might, you might hook a false chinook, who knows? Right, 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 that's right, so you got some other species, but for the most part, if you get a grab, a good, nice grab pole, that's probably going to be a, a steelhead. Yeah, I think so. The steel, the clear water's not a generous mistress, but, uh, you know, I think it's probably about, like, the Deschutes. I don't know much about the Deschutes, but when I went there, uh, if I got a fish and and got maybe another grab or two, I was pretty happy. So I think. It's- yeah, that's right. That's right. So if you if you're on a run and you're fishing it and you get like a little tap or a tip or something like that, or maybe even a grab, but the fish doesn't hook up, what what's your next move? What do you do after that to try to get that fish back on? Well, cast again in the same spot. Yeah. Just keep keep working it. Do you ever do you ever do the like change the fly or do any of that stuff? Yeah, you can go to a comeback fly, a little smaller maybe. Uh, a Western Coachman's a pretty good comeback fly here. Oh, okay, Western Coachman. Yep, that's a kind of a yeah, about a size eight. Okay, yeah, size eight. So so that's the comeback fly. Good. And, uh, so yeah, well, I think, um, I think we're painting the picture pretty well on, you know, just getting out there. It sounds like it's fairly easy to not only find a place to camp or write that sort of thing. It's, is there a lot of pressure up there? Do you find like when you go out today or, you know, on the, on the water, are you going to see like all these runs, people fishing them, or is there plenty of room to find a spot to fish? Uh, when the, when the runs really good. There'll be a lot of people, but I've never found, uh, even on the opening day of Catch and Keep, which will be very busy because the gear guys, you know, the people that want to keep them, they're going to come out as soon as the Catch and Keep season starts. But I've never found a when I couldn't find a run to fish. Mm. When's that start? When's the Catch and Keep start? Uh, it used to start on the 15th of October, but they changed it now. So I don't actually remember what the dates are, but it's later, later in the fall. Okay, so you can still actually kill steelhead there. Uh, you can fish from July the first all the way into April if you if you're so inclined. Yeah. Okay. Great. Great. And and these fish that let, let's say you're in a run, you get a, a fish on, or maybe you hook a fish or two. If somebody's coming in behind you or, or later, you know, an hour later, are they still do they still have a good opportunity to catch a fish in that run, or do you feel like the, the maybe the run's down a little bit and you want to let it rest? Well. I feel like there's an opportunity there because I've seen a guy catch a fish and and the guy behind him that might be his fishing buddy might catch a fish. I don't know that there's any real great pattern to it. Obviously, the less the runs are fished, maybe the better they are. But um, I've actually had a boat drift right over my line. And as soon as the boat, when I was ready to start cussing that, he might got a grab. So Right. Yeah, yeah, you never know. Yeah, it's interesting. We were, like I said, we did this this trip up on the Skeena, 
and it's the main stem we were fishing. So these fish were always migrating through, right? So you could, so it didn't even matter because you there'd be a fish there, and then he's my he's not holding. But I think in the I'm I'm guessing the clear I know the Deschutes these fish are kind of holding, they're you know they're holding and then they're moving maybe at night or something like that, and it makes a little bit of a difference. But um, but no, this is great. I think the the Clearwater is exciting. I, I mean, what are the other steelhead rivers out there other than the Clearwater, which is world famous? You know, what are there? Are there other rivers around that area that also hold steelhead that people could fish? Uh, the snake in the Grand Ron. Oh, yeah. And the salmon. Yeah, the, the snake's uh, 35 miles from me. The Ron's about a little bit up the snake. Uh, I'd say I could be to the Ron and to the mouth of the Ron in a couple hours. And then uh, the salmon, I've only fished it just a little bit by Whitebird, but uh, at Riggins, I, a lot of people. Uh, fish there, but I think it's mostly deer guys. But those fly guys fishing the salmon over between Riggins and Whitebird too. So, and then if you, if you have a jet sled and you know how to to get up to the rapids, you can go to the lower salmon where where it joins the snake, and that's good fishing up there. Mm, right, right. And the Grand Ronde, and is that a pretty sweet river? Is that that must be kind of similar to the the Clearwater. Well, I've only been there once, but it's it's very popular. Same kind of tackle, I think, at least in my view. You know, I don't know that much about the Grand Ron, but I I like, uh, when I went there, I had a good time. I caught a lot of bass. <laughs> right. Do you, do you catch many bass on the Clearwater? Uh, yeah, the Clearwater's a really great bass stream. I think they probably eat some of the steelhead smolts, but um, there's good smallmouth fishing in the Clearwater. Yeah, perfect. All right, Poppy, well, well, give us a heads up in the, uh, as you got the Spayclave coming, which is going to be a huge event here uh, September 30th. You, we'll, we'll put a link in the show notes for people to click over so they can get some more information there. But um, what else do you have coming? So that's going to be September as you look out over the next kind of six months to a year. Any any other, anything else you want to shed light on? Or are you just going to be hanging out at the shop and, and doing the same old good stuff? Same old, same old. Working on rods and uh, talking to steelhead people about fishing. Yeah. That's right. You never you never get tired of that, do you? That's kind of the cool thing about the shop. You, you you've always got somebody new or somebody old, you know, somebody that you know coming in and and uh is that kind of it seems like I, I grew up around a little shop and I always felt like that was kind of the cool thing is you're just sitting there chatting about fishing. Is that one of the is that kind of the best thing about it, you know, being being owning a shop and being there? Well, that's a pretty good pretty good way to spend your life, but at least working. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, we have a lot of people come through uh one of my customers, it's an old friend, was here this week on his way to BC. Him and his wife stopped in, and I had a nice visit with them. And uh, when people come to the shop, if I'm not down there and they want to see me, they need to tell Dale, I want to see Poppy. Right. So we can do that. So if we want to see you, we can tell Dale to, to, to hook it up and we can do that. What's the uh, So at the shop, is there ever a time where it feels like work? When does it feel like work to you? Well, when money's tight. Oh, right. Yeah. That's a good point. Yep. That is, you still have a business, right? Even though that's still part of the thing. It's still, uh, you know, looking at the profit, you know, margins and all that stuff. It's still something you got to keep going. That's that's a good point. Well, you've managed to keep something going pretty awesome for 20 years now, and it's it's good to hear that it's going to keep going on. And uh, and I'm hopeful that the Spayclave, um, I'll be able to get up there this year and meet you in person. Um, but yeah, Poppy, I appreciate We'll send everybody out to uh, redshedflyshop.com if they have questions and uh I appreciate all your time today and, and all the uh, great work you've done over the years. Okay. It's been uh, 
great talking to you. That is a wrap. You can grab all of the show notes at wetflyswing.com. And please follow us on Instagram and share this episode out with someone you love. Please send me an email, dave at wetflyswing.com, if you have any feedback or want us to put together an episode on this podcast for you. Check in anytime. I hope you enjoyed this podcast and would love to meet up with you on the water. We have new fly fishing schools going all year long and all around the country. So if you want to connect, let's do it right now. All right, time to get out of here. I hope you have a great evening. I hope you have a great morning or great afternoon wherever in the world you are. And I appreciate you for stopping by and checking out the show today. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show. For notes and links from this episode, visit wetflyswing.com.